Turn in your Bibles. Adele has already actually quoted part of one of the verses, uh, Philippians chapter 2, a very familiar passage that we all are very aware of, and we just sang the song, and then Hebrews chapter 1. What I want to talk about is what the Lord laid on my heart was how Jesus got his full name. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, the name Jesus is never mentioned. You never see the name Jesus in the Old Testament. It only comes into play only when God himself sends, uh, I believe it's the angel Gabriel, to make the announcement to, um, let's see, I believe he made it to Mary first, and then Joseph along uh, got news. He also received a, a message from the angel about what was going on with Mary. But that name is never mentioned even though God the Father and uh, God the Son knew what it would be all along. And, and I, I've never heard of anyone else in our society uh, that I've known of in the American society named Jesus. Now, I have understood that there's some people uh, in other societies that carry the name Jesus, and uh, I, I, I don't know how they do that. Actually, there's only one person in the universe really that's adequate to carry the name of Jesus. Only one. And that's not any condemnation that I'm trying to place on somebody else, but the word means Savior. That's what uh, the angel said, and God sent the message, you shall call his name Jesus. And so why did it wait all this time? Because God's time plan for humanity and from eternity had to play out uh, in the historical context over uh, the entire history of mankind. And uh, so God has time slots for everything to be fulfilled. And he had a time for Jesus to come into the world to be revealed to who he was. And uh, so he did not have that name. They knew what it was going to be, but he did not have that name until he was conceived uh, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And they were actually told what they were to name the child. I do not know. I was trying to think just a day or so ago, if, if there was any other people that were told in the Bible what they were supposed to name their child, and, and there very well may have been, but I, I'm, a, I'm a little at loss for it now. But, but anyway, in Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, that we just talked about, it says, Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about the name of Jesus tonight, we're going to have to talk about three aspects. Jesus Christ Lord. There's three aspects to the name of Jesus and how that Jesus came to actually obtain every aspect, every part of that name. Now, I understand this was played out with God in eternity, that, that God the Father, God the Son, the Word, the Holy Spirit knew it, but it had to be actually activated. It was not enough that it was, uh, that it was in the mind of God and prophesied through the Old Testament it had to be activated in historical time context in reality. It had to come to pass for it all to be according to the will of God. And so it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus was equal with God the Father. And that was one of the accusations that was brought against him. Uh, in, in one of the Gospels about the Pharisees and the leaders, they said he calls God, him, God his Father, making himself equal with God. Well, we all know that Jesus Christ, as God 
He was God in the flesh. He was equal with God. The triune Godhead, they're all three equal. And so it says he was in the form of God. That word is morphe in the Greek, which is a word we get like morphosis or morph, you morph into something. He was in the, he was in the actual reality, the image, the form of God before he came to earth. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now this covers a lot of time from time before time and into time and on to the end of his life. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore? So this wherefore here is, is what all the above stuff, it was dependent upon this to get to this point. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. They didn't have this name. This name as a man was not Jesus' name prior to his coming into this world. It says... He gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue could, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, there's the threefold name. Jesus Christ is Lord. So, to the glory of God the Father. So, I just want to hit these Little points very quickly. First was Jesus' heavenly exit. I'm a, I, I can imagine how in my own mind the Father, the Son, the Spirit realm, how they, how they, uh, you know, how they determined how to come up with this human plan of, of humanity and how they determined that all of this was going to play out because God, He tells the end from the beginning. That's how great a God we have. He declares the end from the beginning. And, uh, and he has to do it through, through humanity and through people. And yet it, he still brings it all to pass. And if you study, I read it one time somewhere about all the prophecies of Jesus. That, that he fulfilled every prophecy to the letter. That if you took every prophecy that Jesus fulfilled over such a long period of time. And you put it to the whatever, to the what power it would be, possibilities. It's, it's far beyond any realm of man, any possibilities that man does with things that they do. The realm, the possibility of Jesus fulfilling all these things and God bringing all these things to pass and down throughout the centuries is, is beyond the scope of man to almost believe to what power it would take for that to be accomplished. So I can see the Father and the Son there saying, well... Okay, this is going to be the plan. We design it. No one could design a plan this. No one could design it. They designed it. They determined it. They developed it. They deployed it. And they completed it. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so they, that, uh, this was the plan. Okay, well, there's going to come a time. We're going to tell people about the coming one, about the Messiah. And it's going to be planned throughout the Old Testament. All the prophecies talked about this. But then you're going to be encapsulated in the womb of a woman. And there is no way that you and I can understand how that the Word, the Word in heaven with the Father, how that the, the eternal Word, and they determined that this Word was going to be encapsulated inside the womb of a woman. And, and it's beyond our comprehension. Without any earthly seed to 
bring about this, it was the seed of the Holy Spirit because the Lord told Mary, the power of the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And I wrote down the meaning of that word uh, somewhere. It means to, to cast a shade on, to envelop in a haze of brilliance, to invest with a preternatural influence. Uh, I'm su- assuming that word preternatural means supernatural. I didn't look it up. But to envelop in a haze of brilliance. And so this word came. I'm just going to go through these right quick because I don't have time to do it. We could give all kinds of verses that talked about the seed of the woman would bruise the, the, the head of the serpent. That Jesus stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That Moses said, the Lord your God shall raise up a prophet unto you. And him shall you hear in all things that he shall say. And if any man shall not hear, be cut off from among the people. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And uh, he shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Abraham, he said, saw my day and he rejoiced to see it. And Abraham... And when he met Melchizedek returning from the slaughter of the kings, uh, Melchizedek, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, was called king of Salem, a king of righteousness, king of Salem, which meant king of righteousness, king of peace. I always have believed that that was a theophany in the Old Testament, a visual appearance of Christ before he ever came into the world. When Melchizedek met Jesus, or met Melchizedek, or when Abraham met him there, a virgin shall conceive and be with child. The Bible says, Out of thee, Bethlehem, shall come forth he that shall be ruler over my people Israel. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Uh, and in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Jesus, he did not take on him the nature of angels, uh, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. That he made, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Uh, that he had to become like one of us into that womb. Into that womb. Then out of that womb, even though there was, uh, there was hatred against him from the very beginning. But he came forth into this world. He, he exited heaven. He exited the glories of heaven. He left the splendor of heaven. Knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha. There to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, then... Then the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky. If that isn't love, then heaven is a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. And so Jesus exited eternal glory. It says he came down in the form of a servant. And then he made his habitable entrance into this world. It was planned. It was precisioned. It was prescribed by God the Father and agreed to by Jesus Christ the Son. All of these steps. And now he was named Jesus at the beginning. But that was in a, in a sense prophetic because he had to rise to, he had to rise to the ability to be the Savior. It was not enough for him to just be named Jesus. He had to rise to the occasion. He had to rise to what was required for him to be called Jesus. And so he entered the habitation, the human stream. And we all know about that, uh, that he began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. John the Baptist, he didn't know, even though he was his cousin, he didn't know who he was going to be. But he said, the Lord told him, he said, how will I know? He said, upon whom you shall see the Spirit of God descending and remaining on him. 
That's the one that will baptize the Holy Ghost. That's the way you'll know. And when the dove came down and descended on Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus did not receive the Spirit with measure. He was full of the Spirit from the very moment that the Spirit came upon him. He never was at a point in time when he was not anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit from the very moment that he first was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, John said, behold, behold the Lamb of God. He's now coming to the world. He's now reached uh, 30-something years old. He said, behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I believe it was, uh, who was it, Uh, Simon that went and found Peter. I get them reversed sometime. He said, we have found the Messiah. Now, they didn't understand all the meaning of that. Uh, When he began to call his disciples, he said, come, we found the Messiah, the one that was spoken of by Moses and the prophets. And then we go along a little further. And in Matthew chapter 16, it is beginning to dawn upon the disciples. They're beginning to see with all his miraculous deeds and works, his holy exhibition out of his habitable entrance into this world, his holy exhibition that everywhere he turned there was miracles. Uh, Every trial that he met, he overcome every test that he faced, he put underneath his feet. Every devil that he faced, he conquered. Every temptation that came his way was put behind him. He never succumbed one time. He was gaining the name of Jesus. He was gaining the name of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He was qualifying himself. He was being qualified, even though he was already predicted and prophesied and the father knew he would be the one but it had to happen he was qualifying himself to be Jesus Christ the Lord he was qualifying himself to be the savior he was qualifying as the one anointed one the only begotten son the Bible says in Matthew 16 that he turned to Peter and his disciples said who do men say that I am and they said well some say this and that but he said but who do you say that I am, and Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, but Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? The himself the rock. Not upon Peter. Peter's a small pebble in that translation. Peter's an important part like you and I are. But he said, Upon this rock, upon the revelation of who I am, I am the I'm the Christ. I'm becoming the Lord. I am going to be Jesus Christ the Lord. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then it says in Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good. How he was anointed, how Jesus, God anointed Jesus with power and the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Yes, Jesus was becoming all of these things. He was qualifying. So I want to take a little time now. I gave out uh, some sheets here uh, for this banner up here. And uh, I think there, I added one to it. And there's 17. So I, I just asked each one if they would stand up and proclaim who that says Jesus is one after the other. So if we could do that, let's do that right now beginning with number one. I don't know where you are. so And speak out loud if you will. Do we have anybody with number one or do we miss number one? Jesus Christ is wonderful, okay? Yes. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I have so many scriptures here, y'all, but I can't deal with them all. But we see the, the exit from heaven. We see the entrance into the habitation of mankind. Jesus coming forth into this world. We see the great exhibition that he committed. And no devil or anyone ever got a part of him. He said in one place as he came to the cross, he says, he said, the prince of this world comes and he hath nothing in me. What a statement. He had not an inch of territory. He had not a, a not a, a scintilla, I believe that's the word. That, that, make, that makes me sound like I know big words, right? He had not a scintilla, a slight of anything in Jesus. He had always been defeated every single time by the Lord and Savior. So now we come to the cross. And I thought this was so neat, Brother Jerry. I told you about it. I guess I ate too late. So I walked around here, Brother Jerry, and I looked at this cross, and it looked like it was sort of fixed and everything. And then I walked over this one, and it had some rollers on it. And I thought, well, I might ask Brother Jerry if somebody could move it. So I go off to preach Sunday, and I come back, and Del said, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what's that? She said, Brother Jerry's preaching on the power of the cross, and they rolled crosses right up there where you want it. So I know you did it for you, Brother Jerry, but you also did it for me, for the glory of God, for the Son of God. Amen. That was just one of them little confirmations you get sometimes. Okay, so I want to just say a word about the cross. Amen. Jesus said while he was facing the cross, you know, there was two or three times he escaped out of their midst. They couldn't take him. He would not go up to Jerusalem on some occasions because he said, my hour is not yet come. And, and when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appeared. Yes, one of the things they talked about. They talked about Moses and Elijah and Jesus. They talked about his decease that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And then he told his disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem, be spit upon and mocked and, uh, you know, abused and whipped and, and beaten. And then I must die. But he said, don't worry about it. On the third day, I'll rise again. 
He said, destroy this temple. We'll see in closing here in a few minutes. There's nobody had the power, the possibility, nobody except someone who had qualified to be Jesus, someone who had qualified to be Christ, somebody who was qualified Jesus Christ, who now was about to become. He was already Lord in a sense, but he was about to become the official, qualified, certified Jesus Christ, the Lord, highly exalted to be lifted up. And so the Bible says when his time came, it says he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. When his time came, his time came, he did not dodge. When his time came, oh yes, he said he got to Jerusalem, he set his face like a flint. And he said, in one place, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? He said, but for this cause came I unto this hour. He said, the cup that my father giveth me, shall I not drink it? He went to that cross. He went there. And there on that cross, the plowers plowed upon his back. They, or before the cross, they plowed upon his back. They, they, they abused him. He bare our own sins in his body on the tree. And, uh. The Bible said his visage was marred more than the sons of men. This was the final step. Up to this time, no sin. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. He was a lamb without spot and without blemish. And it says when the father said he would make his soul an offering for sin, the father said it pleased him to bruise him. He would make his soul an offering for sin. He would see the travail of his soul. We cannot imagine that encapsulation in his birth in the womb, the word. We cannot imagine that perfect sinless life, the second Adam from heaven. We cannot imagine anything about the depths. It was more than physical. A lot of people died in physical crucifixion. This was spiritual, physical, emotional. Uh, every aspect was involved in this death that Jesus died. He became sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so as a result of that, the preaching of the cross, we preach Christ crucified. And Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom I am crucified unto the world and the world unto me. And so the last step was this Holy exhibition and the, I didn't mention the other one, the hard extremity. I, I didn't call it that, but that's what he went through. The hard extremity. And then the highest exaltation. How Jesus Christ is Lord became true in reality. Jesus, he give a, gave him a name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, he said he highly exalted him and gave him a name. He gave him the name Jesus to start with, but now he's fulfilled it all. He's been the anointed one. He's been the Savior. He has been Lord over everything that's come against him. He has proven himself. And God gave him that final name, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And the, they laid him in the tomb, and the tomb could not hold him. In Acts 2.24 it says, It was not possible. He loosed the pains of death because it was not possible. It was not possible that he should be held. It was not possible the grave could hold him. It was not possible he couldn't get out of the womb. It was not possible he couldn't survive his full 33 years. It wasn't possible. He lived and, and, and paid every 
price and did everything and met every sin and every temptation. And now it was not possible. The grave could not hold him. The seal could not hinder him. I call it uh, one sermon I preached called uh, Jesus the caused the graveyard shift. Hallelujah. He shifted the graveyard. We're not afraid of the grave. I've been trying to be deciding where I want to be buried the last couple of years. Sometimes Della says, well, don't talk about it so much. I mean, I'm not set on dying or anything. Don't misunderstand me. But, but why could the grave not hold him? Because it could not, they could not do anything. The demons of hell could not do anything during his life to deter him being the perfect sacrifice. They could not override God's sovereign legal plan that he had prophesied from eternity in the beginning. There was no demon that could tempt the divine son. And he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. There was nothing that could alter the predetermined plan of his earthly journey. He walked it out step by step. It says he was made perfect through sufferings. Perfect there not meaning he was imperfect. It perfect means that he got to the final step and Calvary was where he finished it all. When he cried, it is finished, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The grave could not hold him because it could not corrupt his body. I do not know what all happened, but just imagine. Just imagine, David said, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither suffer thy holy one to see corruption. From the moment they laid Jesus in that grave and they lay you there, your body starts to decay. If I understand the scripture, there was never an iota of decay on the body of Jesus. From the time they wrapped him in that linen cloth, once he suffered, that body did not decay. I do not know at what moment the, the spirit of God began to transform that body. Maybe it was only all waited all three days later. But I'll say this, his body, the Bible said, did not see corruption. He was not corrupted laying in that grave. And then they could not prohibit a single prophecy. He fulfilled every single prophecy that had been prophesied from before eternity about him coming to this world. He met the test. He became Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Savior and Master. And so we're going to close with one final song. I know you didn't think it was possible, Jeremy. Where are you at up there? And I wouldn't have either if the Lord hadn't uh, put this together. But, oh, before... We do this song. If you want to come to the altar and just love on Jesus and let him love you back and touch you, you can. But I thought this was, I got this a few years ago from someone in a church I pastored. And you know, it says, why did Jesus fold the napkin? You may have heard this. This is one I can honestly say I've never seen circulate in the email. So I'll start uh, if it touches you and you want to forward. So anyway, he went on and he says, the gospel of John 27 tells us that the napkin which was placed over the face of Jesus was not just thrown aside like the grave clothes. The Bible takes an entire verse to tell us the napkin was neatly folded and was placed at the head of the stony coffin or grave where he lay. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, said, they've taken away the Lord's body, and I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. The other disciple went around Peter and got there first. He stooped, looked in, saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. Was that important? Absolutely. Is it really significant? Yes. 
In order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, you have to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and servant. And every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would wait just out of sight till the master had finished eating. And the servant would not dare touch that table till the master had finished. Now if the master were done eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers, his mouth, and clean his beard, and would wad up that napkin and toss it onto the table. Servant then know to clear the table, for in those days the wadded napkin meant, I'm done. But if the master got up from the table and folded his napkin and laid it beside his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table because the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Hallelujah. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the grave could not hold him down. So I just invite you on this last song, if you want to come stand the altar or praise the Lord where you are, now you know what all Jesus went through on this earth to become the man, Christ Jesus, to get his full name on this earth to fulfill the prophecy. And he's ascended back and he's our high priest at the right hand of the Father.